thank you very much. Would you take a Bible and turn back to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13, the account of Jesus washing the <clears throat> feet of, of his disciples. This, I don't know whether it's the dry weather or what combination, age, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I have had just to drink a ton of water. I got this dry throat. And I get sick of water. And so I went to Bargain Hunt and I got these little, you know, these little squeeze things, you know. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to put, I just get so tired of drinking the water. And so let me just make a little bit of tea here. Oh, wait a minute. That does not look right. That is, oh, that is mustard. <laughs> that is, that is, mu- that's why it was a bargain hut, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it says tea. It says right on it, Arizona tea. So someone put something in here. That is not supposed to be in here, (laughs) regardless of what the label says. And you can't tell it until you squeeze it out, right? Anybody want to drink this? I'm not going to drink this. Um, You can't tell what's inside these things until you squeeze them out. The same is true, you know, largely about you and me, right? We are taught from an early age to be careful about what we reveal about ourselves to other people. Uh, so we live our lives developing these filters, the, these, these, these cloaks. You know, we, we build walls to keep others from seeing what's really inside our minds and our hearts. And so how can you tell then what's truly inside a person? Yeah, about the only way to tell is why, what comes out in times of chaos, in times of pressure, when life squeezes us a little bit. In introducing this event that John records here, William Barclay says, there are few incidents in the Gospels which reveal better than this the character of Jesus and the extent of his love. And he is absolutely right, Barclay is. If you want to really understand Jesus, if you want to understand who Jesus is, what motivates him, how he understood and saw life, this is where you're going to look right here. Put yourself, put yourself in the place of Jesus. Just imagine a little bit here with me, okay? Pull together in your mind the faces of those with whom you work, uh, those you go to school with, uh, collect, collect them in your mind, the faces of your closest neighbors, your closest friends. You know who they are. Just, just get them all, you know, picture 12 of them if you can. Get them pictured up here. So then imagine yourself having them gather around you and sitting down. And imagine yourself stooping down in front of them with a towel, with a basin of warm water. You move slowly. From one to the next, you take off their shoes. In our day here, you'd probably take off their socks. You wash their feet. 
you dry their feet. Then you put their socks and their shoes back on them. And then you move on to the next one in the circle. Okay, it takes a little while to do this, right? For all of them. So everybody has plenty of time to watch you. And to really think about what's happening. What's happening in you, what's happening in them, what's happening to you, what's happening to them. Can you imagine that? You have that in your mind? Can you imagine doing that? Let's go further. Imagine kneeling before someone, as Pastor Dwight said to the kids, someone who has slandered you and who has lied about you. Someone who you learned is planning, in fact, to betray you in the very worst of ways, just a few hours from now. Imagine kneeling before him or her and washing their feet. Can you imagine doing that? That's the servanthood of Jesus. That's the love of Jesus. Imagine doing this for those who are seated around you, right here, today, in your row. If you dare, look into their eyes. And imagine stooping before them and taking off their shoes, taking off their socks, and washing. It's all rather uncomfortable for us to consider, isn't it? Isn't it? In our heart of hearts, we find it difficult to imagine ourselves either as the washer or the washee. You know? In fact, I'd, I'd imagine the larger part of us are so uncomfortable right now considering this that you are secretly hoping, maybe even praying, that I'm not leading us up to a surprise foot washing service here this morning. <laughs> We're not going to do that. So you can relax. But not too much. Don't relax too much. Because according to Jesus, everyone who follows him has to deal honestly with this latent resistance within us. Toward humbling ourselves and serving others to the degree that Jesus does right here. We have to deal with that. What is in us that resists that sort of humility. We need to think about that. And what was it in Jesus that embraced it? And in this moment of his life of all times, you know, as his enemies really were gathering around him and his suffering on the cross was drawing nearer and nearer and nearer. How do we love like this? Like Jesus, especially in times of chaos, (laughs) Especially when life squeezes us. Those are the questions I want us to answer today. And and we're going to look at the first one first. What is in us that resists this sort of humility? And the answer is simple. It's one word, really. Pride. It's pride. Pride is the cause. The cause of the fall of Eden. And the cause of all, every unchristian thought ever since Eden. To put it in computer terms, uh, because of and ever since the fall, pride is the default operating system of every person. We were born with a bug in how we think. 
We don't think as God thinks, and that's why we sin, and that's why we need Jesus' forgiveness and salvation. You see it here in this account, displayed by Peter, in the way he responded to Jesus. Now, some of us are able to cloak our responses so they aren't revealed so blatantly, right? There are some here, with, with you're sitting with smiles on your faces, as though, oh, I would welcome a foot washing service right here this morning. But secretly, inwardly, you're thinking, oh man, I hope he doesn't go there. Some of us are very good at disguising our true inner responses. And others aren't, <laughs> right? They just let it out, honestly. Oh no, no. The latter, that was Peter. That was Peter. He responded in pride to what Jesus was doing there with his disciples. Now, let me say, Peter didn't respond in pride intentionally or or maliciously. Not at all. It was just the natural response of Peter's operating system, which comes out particularly in moments of crisis, in moments of chaos, Those around us see what's really inside us when life squeezes us. Jesus kneels down in front of Peter. He's dressed as a slave of all things. And to Peter, this was not proper. This was not proper. Only a slave would wash the feet of a guest. And you know, some Jews believe that only Gentile slaves ought to do it. So, You know, that Jesus, of all people, would literally stoop to do this. Peter, thinking as the world thinks, he had no category for this. The fact is, Jesus, in thinking like God thinks, (laughs) was reversing, very intentionally, the whole fallen social order right here. He was actually fulfilling and he was demonstrating the things he'd been saying to these guys all along. You know, Jesus told his disciples at this very time, I am among you as one who serves. You see, those aren't just words to Jesus. His life backs up what he says. Jesus is illustrating right here Paul's later words to the Philippians about how Jesus made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. You see, this is thinking like God thinks. But Peter here, he was still thinking like the world thinks. He was still standing on his dignity. And we see it in two shocked responses. The first in verse 6 there, Peter exclaims, Lord, you, my feet, in the Greek, the words you and my are side by side. It's an indication of his shock and his exasperation. You, my feet. (laughs) That's the first. You see the second in verse 8. He digs in further. He says to Jesus, you will never. All of this, you see, all of this is hanging on to pride. The holding on to propriety, to personal dignity. And Jesus not only says, but he demonstrates 
that all that has got to go in order to ever truly align with him. Jesus had to bring Peter, just as he has to bring everyone who will follow him, (laughs) to the realization that nothing is beneath our dignity. Nothing is beneath our dignity. That's why Jesus' response here to Peter is as forceful as Peter's protest to Jesus. There in verse 8, Jesus replies to Peter, then you have no place with me. Peter says, you will never. Jesus says, then you have no place with me. You see, there is no salvation without God's sort of humility. So what is it in us that resists Jesus' sort of humility? It's pride. It's the vestiges of that operating system that became part of us at the fall. And in order to follow Jesus, friends, it simply has to go. So then the second question, what was it in Jesus that allowed for this sort of humility? That allowed him to love like this, to wash the feet of even the one who would condemn him. To love them, as verse 1 says, to the fullest extent. And especially in this moment of his life, in this time of great chaos that he was facing, how was it that it was love that came out of Jesus when he was squeezed by the world? The short answer is, Jesus had the mind and the heart of God. His life was not ordered by the world's sinful Uh, you might say, bug-infested operating system. Uh, Jesus' life was ordered by God's good, perfect, sinless operating system. And some will hear that and say, really, there is a perfect operating system out there? That a bug-free operating system? Yeah, there is. But it's not for our computers. And it's not for our phones. It's for our hearts. It's for our minds. It's for our eyes. For the way we feel, the way we think, the way we see, God has a new operating system that he wants to, you might say, install in us. And it's the very one that Jesus uses. That's the ongoing work of God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus in the world today, working in the lives of those who follow him. God's Spirit does for us today God's Spirit will do in us today what Jesus personally did for Peter there in that moment here. God's Spirit will confront us lovingly but firmly with the vestiges of pride that remain in us. And then he will offer to remove them and to replace pride with love. He will replace dignity with servanthood, he will replace arrogance with humility, and he will replace position with meekness. And you know, his work in those ways is his most powerful and profound and effective in life's most chaotic times. When the world is squeezing us, we grow the most. In the hardest of times. 
But let me say this. You know, you can talk a lot about the Spirit giving the mind of Christ. Uh, let me say, it's, that's not just some foggy, theoretical chatter, you know? Uh, the mind of Christ establishes in us the certainty of very practical realities, which give us the ability to love in even chaotic times. You can put a finger on the ways God's mind changes our perspective because having God's operating system assures us of the very same things that Jesus was assured of so that we have, as Jesus had, firm places to stand so the world's chaos doesn't affect our response of love toward others. It's not just theory, it's practical. Nothing is more important in chaotic times than having a firm place to stand. And God's transforming work in us provides firm places to stand. You can see three of them, at least, here in this account of Jesus. And I want to just mention them as we close, okay? First, when you are living by God's operating system, you know who you are. You know who you are. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was the beloved son of God. So he did not need the approval of the world for his own self-worth. When you know that you're a child of God, the opinions of the world, the honors of the world, the dignities of the world, things that so many people around us chase after today, all of those things just fall away. And that clears the path for us to love others, even enemies, selflessly, without the requirement of being loved back. There is no worldly status, there is no worldly honor, there is no amount of clicks or likes that compares with being a child of God. There just isn't. So even in chaotic times, Jesus knew his identity did not change. He knew who he was. And so standing on that firm ground, he was able to love. And so can we, even in chaotic times. Jesus knew who he was. We can know who we are. Second, when we have the mind of God, we know, just as Jesus knew, where we are going. Even in the worst of times, verse 1 there, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And again, like we needed to hear it twice. At the end of verse 3 there, Jesus knew that he was returning to God. You see, regardless of what was coming in the short term, Jesus' destination was God the Father. And the certainty and the security of that fact freed Jesus. And it frees all who follow Jesus. From the intimidation and fear of the world's opinions, the world's criticisms, the world's rejection and abuse, and anything else that we may face here. And then beyond that, beyond the here, it also frees us ultimately from the fear of death. To know that in Christ, whatever the world might do, whatever might happen to us here, it cannot harm us. People cannot harm us. Circumstances cannot harm us in any real, lasting way. To not have to wonder where we're headed. 
to know that when our days are done here, we are going to God the Father. To know that frees and empowers us to live lives of love above the chaos, just as Jesus did, even when the world squeezes us. That's the second. Then the third, when we live according to God's mind and heart, we know who is really in charge. Now, you might imagine, and rightly so, that, that what I mean by this is that Jesus knew God the Father is sovereign, that, that he's all-powerful. As we hear people say today, God's got this. Jesus knew that. that. That's true. Jesus was utterly confident in God's omnipotence, all-powerfulness, all God's authority, his supremacy, his control. That, that is part of God's operating system that he wants to install in us. God really is in control of things. But, you know, that's not all that appears in this passage here. Beyond that, verse 3 there tells us that Jesus also knew that God the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that he himself had authority given by God to speak boldly and confidently to the chaos around him. That is exactly how he could tell that storm to be still. And that's how he could tell the demon to be gone. And that's how he could make the sick well. And that's how he could defeat the devil. And remember, Jesus said that those who follow him would do greater things than even those that he did. John 14, 12. Now, I am not saying... That we are, in the same way as Jesus, in charge of all things. Okay, don't hear that. He's the king of kings. We are not the king of kings. Okay, But I am saying that in Jesus, as children of God, we have far more authority and power than we typically think. At the very least, we have power over our responses. We have power over our attitudes. We have power over the spirits of chaos that try to worm their way into our lives, intending to disrupt our peace, throw us into worry and fear and despondency. We have control over those things. We can tell them to be gone because in Christ, we belong to God. We are his children. We are on our way to him and we need not be held captive by that which has no real power over us. But, you know, even beyond that, the enemy has no power, no authority over us because we've been delivered from his kingdom of darkness. We are children of light. If you're following Jesus, you are a child of God. You are a child of light. God has given us authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. God himself is our refuge. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So when we operate according to God's mind and heart, even when chaos comes, understanding just as Jesus did, who is really in charge here, that steadies us. And it frees us to love even when the world squeezes us. You know, in in Luke's account of this same event, He reports to us that the disciples were arguing among themselves as to who was the greatest of them. That night, they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. 
Friends, can I say the very same thing happens today? There are many in Christ's church who are standing on their dignity when they ought to be kneeling in service to others. But they fear that level of humility. They fear the vulnerability of loving because they do not really know who they are as children of God. They are not convinced that they are truly going to the Father or they don't understand the extent of either God's or their own authority and power over their circumstances. And that is tragic. And that is sad. Because in times of chaos, when life really squeezes us, they waver with the world instead of standing on Christ's firm ground. Listen, maybe maybe in a, a small way, Or maybe in a big way, you find that true in your life today. Um, That you are are listening way too much to the world. And and the world has filled you with fear and you're unable to love. (laughs) It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus offers us all firm ground today. He wants us to know who we are. He wants us to know where we're going, and he wants us to know who's really in charge in our world. God's Spirit wants today to help us and teach us and assure us so that even when we are squeezed by the world, the character of Christ comes out of us. So the chaos can be calmed, so we can be free to live as Jesus lived, to serve as Jesus served. And to be God's steadying, calming, loving presence in a chaotic and unstable world. That's what God wants for every one of his children. Do you need help with this today? Do you need God's help with this today? Do you need God's assurance of who you are, where you're going, who's in charge? Do you need the power to love that comes with the humility of Christ? Listen, to face the challenges that are in our world today, do you need a divine update to your operating system? If you do, if you find yourself feeling shaky today and and unable to love, would you come and would you ask Jesus to give you just what you need? He knows just what you need. And he wants to provide to us all just what we need so that we can find firm ground in this crazy world. So that we can love, so that love comes out of us even as the world squeezes us. Father, it is true. Um, We don't really know what tomorrow holds. Um, But we do know that you hold tomorrow, that you are there already. So would you come alongside any here today who, as the world is squeezing them, they, they, they find fear in their hearts. They see fear coming out instead of love. Would you meet them? Would you meet us all? And would you give us all you gave to Jesus so we can be calm in chaos 
so we can be free to love. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If something is rattling you today, if something has squeezed you such that you see fear coming out of you, why didn't you come? It might be a small thing. It might be a big thing. It might be a small thing. Why don't you come and receive from God what he has for you today? You can come and kneel here. And if you want somebody to pray with you, I'd be happy to pray with you. One of the pastors will pray with you. If you'd rather just be left alone, that's fine too. Um, Let's sing. If you'd like to come, why don't you come while we sing?